Um, we'll be in Ecclesiastes, we're actually going to be in two separate passages, uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, and then chapter 2, 12 through 17. Uh, I chose these passages together because they, deal with the, they both deal with the topic of wisdom. Uh, in, in the first passage, Solomon will seek to use wisdom as a tool to find the answers that he's looking for. And in the second passage, Solomon reflects on his use of wisdom as a tool. And when I, when I say tool, I mean as a method, a method uh, that Solomon uses uh, for his search, because uh, he's going to search out by wisdom uh, the answers uh, to the meaning of life. And I know um, Ecclesiastes can seem like a mixed blessing. On the one hand, um, we can, from our perspective, from our New Covenant, from our Holy Spirit-influenced perspective, we can look and, and say, yeah, well, if did this, or if only Solomon thought this, or only Solomon whatever, you know, because that's what I would do. But on the other hand, sometimes I look at this and say, yeah, you know, I want to know that too. I want to know why God does this. I want to know why God allows this. And, um, but ultimately, as I said in the first week, uh, Solomon's uh, going to lead us directly to God. Uh, so let, let's pray. Lord, uh, we do again thank you for this book. Um, it raises and shares uh, many of the same questions that we have, Lord, that we can identify with, Lord, that are real in our lives. Why is there evil? Why is there cancer and sickness? and war, Lord, and um, what, what is the meaning of it all? Lord, we have these questions, and, and, and we pray again through this study, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us, Lord, um, in an, an ever stronger way, Lord. Um, sometimes we don't need the answers, Lord, we just need you. Lord, and we pray that that would be the case, Lord, that you would be sufficient for us, Lord. Help us with that, we pray. Amen. So in the first part of verse 13, uh, well, let me, let me read the passage. I almost forgot. All right, again, chapter 1, verse 12 through 18. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also 
is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And then over to chapter 2, verse 12. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. Praise God for his word. In the first part of verse 13, Solomon says, And I applied my heart to seek out and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun. So I I think it would be useful at this uh, point to talk about what Solomon means by wisdom here. So the term or the concept of wisdom uh, comes from the Hebrew word chakmah. And, and it's used in a few different ways in the Old Testament. But the root meaning of that word is skill. So in general, especially outside of the wisdom books, so the wisdom books are Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. So outside of the wisdom books, half of the uh, Old Testament use of chakma describes skills such as uh, craftsmen, uh, uh, people skilled in the arts and artisans like weavers uh, from Exodus 35 or architects from, also from Exodus 35 or, or goldsmiths from uh, Jeremiah 10.9. So there's that usage of wisdom as a skill. But in the wisdom books themselves, wisdom or chakma refers to living wisely or the skill of living, the skill of living wisely. Now, one writer that I came across said that wisdom is the art of steering. Now, think about that for a minute. The wis- wisdom is the art of steering. Now, when we're in a vehicle, you know, whether it's a car or, a, or a, a boat or a motorcycle, a sled, you know, any kind of vehicle that's steering, uh, in order for you to get where you need to go, you need to steer it. Uh, in order to reach your destination safely, you need to guide the vehicle. You, you need to steer it. And, and, and I think that's a great analogy for life. Uh, we're constantly steering our lives. And, and sometimes we make wise turns. Hopefully most of the time we make wise turns. Uh, and sometimes we make not so wise turns. But we're, we're constantly steering. And hopefully, uh, th- this made me think of that bumper sticker uh, God is my co-pilot. <laughs> you know, hopefully while you're steering a life, God is your co-pilot and you're, you're constantly seeking Him for direction. Uh, and speaking of God, another definition is 
how to negotiate or find your way, steer life successfully in God's good but fallen world. So how to negotiate life successfully in God's good but fallen world. In verse 13, Solomon determines to master this art of steering uh, and trying to find meaning uh, to life. But uh, as we've said before, he, he's going to search using wisdom under heaven or, or under the sun, using human wisdom. And so if Solomon had, had tried to find his answers with his God-given wisdom uh, in his earlier days, so we'd, we'd have a much different book, wouldn't we? He says that he applied his heart. Now th that means he used every fiber of his being uh, because we know that heart in the Hebrew means the whole person. Uh, so he used his whole being, his whole person to search out by wisdom by negotiating life successfully, all that is done under heaven. And, and later on, for context, uh, Solomon will search out by pleasure and by work and by other ways to get his answers. But for now, Solomon is searching out by wisdom. And if we jump ahead to verse 16, uh, Solomon uh, basically makes what seems like an incredible boast. Uh, related to wisdom. He says in verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. But we know, we know Solomon, we know that that isn't really boasting, is it? Uh, for him. Uh, Solomon stating a fact. Uh, we, we recall in, in uh, 1 Kings uh, chapter 3 where Solomon had been named king after the death of, of David and, and he was overwhelmed by his responsibilities. And God spoke to him a dream saying, ask forever whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon responded by asking, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who was able to govern this, your great people? So God was pleased with this request, and he answered by saying, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. Again, Solomon was not boasting. And if you walk in obedience to me, of course, there's the qualifier. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So that's the background, not only for Solomon's uh, great wisdom, but also his, his great wealth and, and renown. Uh, so Solomon, again, is not boasting. His wisdom was a gift from God that brought him riches and honor. Uh, it produced justice and prosperity for the people. And, and it attracted admiration and attention from all over uh, the ancient world. 
And, and before Solomon elaborates on his use of wisdom as a tool, he throws in some commentary. And we're still in verse 13. He says, It is an unhappy business God has given to the children of man to be busy, busy with. Now you might have noticed that this is Solomon's first mention of God in, in the book. Uh, and interesting, interestingly, Solomon here recognizes the sovereignty of God. He says, God has given. So he's recognizing the sovereignty of God here. He might not like what God has given, but he's saying, well, God... Um, so his recognition of God is not exactly flattering here. He seems to see God as governing the world in a calculating, business-like manner, where God responsibly and sovereignly is governing his creation post-fall, methodically ensuring that mankind and creation see and feel the consequences of the fall. In other words, he seems to think that, that God could have reacted to the fall differently. You know, why did God ordain things this way? Uh, instead of cursing, he could have overlooked what had happened to Adam and Eve. Or, or he, he could have punished them immediately and, and then be done with it, right? I mean, God could have done it in any number of ways. I, I, I think Solomon's uh, trying to express this. As another writer put it, uh, commenting on this verse, God did not stop this unhappy business of paradise lost. We must linger here you know, for a time, for a purpose. So here, here in this one verse, Solomon shows us one aspect of who God is. But unfortunately, it's an aspect that we don't necessarily like to hear about. Um, so Solomon used this great wisdom that he possessed, you know, from verse 16, not boasting, applying his heart to search out all that is done under heaven from verse 13. And from what I can tell, what this means is that Solomon basically studied everything. Literally everything. He studied the world, and he enters the world, so to speak. And as mentioned before, the world also came to him. He observes, he studies, he, he contemplates, he collects, he samples. Uh, and, and I can just picture him, you know, this isn't in the Bible, but I can just picture him disguising himself and living with the people. Uh, the regular people, the farmers and, and the shepherds and the, and the tradesmen and the soldiers and, and maybe even the slaves. He, he wants to figure things out from maybe their perspective too. All with the goal of gaining understanding, getting answers. And this is what Solomon says. I have seen everything under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. And not only that, in verse 17, he says that he applied his heart to know wisdom and madness and folly, which is the opposite of wisdom. So he's covering all the bases here. And he came to the same conclusion. This also is a striving after the wind. One of the ironies that um, I'm sure Solomon wrestled with 
is that despite this great wisdom that he had, uh, wisdom given to him by God himself, uh, wisdom and its opposites, madness and folly, aren't getting him the answers either. I I mentioned uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There are two characters in the book who happen to be philosophers. Uh, Their names are uh, Magicthes and Vroomfondel. Okay, silly names. I I think the author is trying to tell you what he thinks of philosophers there by giving them, you know, silly names. And, and, And as philosophers, they are frustrated with how things in the universe work, uh, just like Solomon. And and at one point, one of them exclaims, he says, we demand rigidly defined areas of doubt and uncertainty. (laughs) We demand rigidly defined areas of doubt and uncertainty. Now, that's like asking for dry water. Okay, it's impossible. And and, and it shows the way some academic types uh, can get it all wrong by insisting that everything has to be rigidly classified. I mean, how exactly can you rigidly define doubt and uncertainty? So Solomon, in his search for wisdom, maybe thinks if he he can gather gather up enough data Uh, if he can classify everything, um, that maybe that will lead him to answers. Um, But it doesn't. So twice in these few passages, Solomon concludes that all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Verse 14 and 17. And then after each of those statements, Solomon shares what might be considered a proverb. In verse 15, Solomon says, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Here, Solomon seems to be saying that there are some things in life that are just impossible to do, or or impossible to change. And and that is part of this unhappy business that that he referred to in verse 13, the unhappy business of life in this world. In other words, even Solomon's great power and wisdom are limited. Even Solomon can't change reality. He can't change the way things actually are. He cannot make straight what is crooked. And the the reality is that this is a fallen world populated by fallen people. And and despite all the well-intentioned and ultimately unsuccessful social programs and and educational initiatives, and, and self-help books, and TV shows, and, and, and the periodic changes from Republican majority in Congress to a Democratic majority in Congress to, to bipartisanship, and, and whether or not the, the national budget is balanced or not, or, or whether the trade deficit is, is in our favor or not in our favor, or, or, or who has the biggest and best military Uh, whether we have open borders or closed borders, uh, there still remains the reality that we live in a fallen world populated by a fallen people. So so what's the answer? What is the antidote to 
to what is crooked uh, cannot be made straight and what is lacking uh, cannot be counted. Well, we'll have to wait and see, uh, Solomon says. Solomon shares in another proverb in verse 18, for in much wisdom is vexation. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Well, first of all, I have a confession to make. I had to look up vexation. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Uh, I mean, when's the last time you heard that word used in, in casual conversation? But in this context, vexation means sorrow, grief, or frustration. So, so what Solomon is saying here is that with his quest to understand how the world works and why things happen as they do, and how one might change the realities we find in this world, this process often produces frustration, sorrow, even anger. Because for one, the more one learns and sees and understands the enormity and complexity of the problems, the more apparent human limits become. Solomon personally, himself, finds that his power and his knowledge are limited. And also, uh, with increased knowledge, comes the realization of how unhappy this business of living is. Uh, we, we probably understand this proverb better at, with the opposite, where it says, ignorance is bliss. I mean, we've all heard that before. It, it would seem that the less we know about this world, uh, and living in this world, uh, the less we know of, of what an unhappy business it is. And, and we can be happy in our ignorance. Um, have you ever determined to go on a news fast? You know, I, 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 my, my dad uh, wasn't um, the most joyful person in the world. Um, and, and I think part of it was because he would read three newspapers a day. He would watch the morning news, the, um, the midday news, and then he would watch the, the late afternoon news, and then the world news. And with, with such a saturation of, of that, it, it, I mean, it would be difficult not to be affected by that. I don't know if I've ever, I ever recommended him to go on a news fast. He probably would have thought I was crazy, but... With, with the next section, chapter 2, verse 12 through 17, Solomon considers his use of wisdom as a tool for finding answers uh, from verse 12. And, and he admits or concludes, well, that wisdom is not totally worthless. He says, so I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness, for who can do this better than I, the king? Uh, th this is the NLT, by the way, New Living Translation. I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they are going, but fools walk in the dark. So, okay, it seems like we're getting somewhere here with him, uh, but not so fast. He goes on to say, yet, despite that conclusion that wisdom is better than foolishness, yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate who share the same fate, what's he talking about here? What does he mean? And here it is, verse 15. Both will die. 
Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. It's vanity. For the wise and the foolish both die. And the wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool. In the days to come, both will be forgotten. And then he says in verse 17, So I came to hate life, because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Solomon concludes that wisdom, although profitable in some ways, at least it's better than foolishness, can't help humanity escape from this unhappy business of living. Uh, But even more, wisdom can't solve the problem of death either. The wise and the foolish share the same fate. This whole situation perplexes Solomon. So much so that he stated that he came to hate life. Now the the actual meaning of that, and and I don't know why the... um, the, some of the Bible versions include the word hate, but the actual meaning of that was he was extremely frustrated with life. So as we sit back and observe and consider uh, Solomon's search, uh, this, this search that seemed to obsess him uh, for meaning, uh, we have the benefit of all of Scripture. And, and, and we can place this book within the context of all of Scripture. And it's right to do that. Solomon is understandably frustrated that despite his profound wisdom, he's going to end up in the same place as someone who is profoundly foolish. How the wise dies just as the fool. Now, I don't, I don't know the extent of Solomon's theological understanding. I don't know how much he knew about the fall and the consequences of the fall. And I don't know how much he knew about God's curse on creation. And, and scholars aren't even sure about how, how much Solomon knew about the afterlife. Uh, he seems to be obsessed with death and the fact that uh, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no matter how you live, we all suffer the same fate. We die. And I don't know those things. But I do know this. I know that God's Word says that the wages of sin is death. We get that from Genesis 2.17 and Romans 6.23. They make that very clear. That's the reality. That's the reality that we cannot change. However, we also know that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that through that, death has lost its sting. Amen? Death has lost its sting through Christ's death and resurrection. And we also know that we can have victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that our labor is not in vain, as it says in 1 Corinthians, as Solomon suggests under the sun. Our labor is not in vain. That's a little different from Solomon's viewpoint here, from his, his, his uh, human wisdom. And we also know that someday Jesus will reconcile us to God from Colossians 1.15, completely reversing the curse of the fall from Romans 8. In other words, what is crooked will be made straight. Amen? God will make straight what is crooked. 
And while Solomon may have been unsure of what would become of him after his death, we can confidently say with Paul, those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can confidently say with Paul, to die is to gain. Philippians 1.21 Not that we purposely seek death, but that when we do die, which we all will, which no one can avoid, as Solomon keeps letting us know. Uh, when we do die, we know that Jesus has prepared a place for us. And if only Solomon could have heard these words uh, during his, his search under heaven. When Jesus said, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. Or would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for your word. Lord, as we... Um, Again, as we go out uh, into this uh, holiday season, uh, let us be mindful of, of ways in which we can share the hope that we have, Lord. Uh, the hope that we have in You, Lord. Let us be in prayer uh, for that, seeking for opportunities, Lord, and looking to see how You will change, uh, how You will make straight the crooked lives uh, of people, Lord. And we look forward to hearing testimonies of that, Lord. We thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.